This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. It's Labor Day here in the U.S., but I am continuing to get the job done here because this show always must go on. Uh, so we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today, including my uh, march to 200,000 subscribers. We're going to talk a little bit about the speedometer test and how Chrome improvements make it hard to look back and compare with other devices. I'll also rant a little bit about dealing with marketing departments versus PR departments as a creator. iPads versus Surface Go. Which is the better tablet? We'll talk a little bit about the shortfalls and strengths of each Task management was something that a viewer asked about, which I'm happy to share some tips and tricks on. And we'll also discuss Windows 10 needing to get itself a lean back interface for cord cutters and home theater people. Lots to talk about, so let's get to it. So let's start things off by thanking our newest supporters and members here on the channel, including Gerard Newberg, who made a gold level contribution, Mark Hood, Paul Peevler, Dirk Hackenberg and Barb Childs. We had people come in from every funding option this week. So we have YouTube members, Patreon, and the Donor Box page. And I want to thank everyone who contributed to the channel this week and everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, along with everyone who watches on a regular basis too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by Plex and their great media serving software. In a nutshell, what Plex lets you do is take all of the media that you own and control and share it with just about any device out there through the use of apps or even a web browser. It is incredibly flexible. It's something that I use every single day here at the house. And a good portion of the functionality of Plex is free uh, with their free version of their server and applications. But if you want more, uh, what you can do is subscribe to their Plex Pass subscription feature. And Plex Pass will get you additional features like the DVR for watching and recording live TV anywhere in the world, Mobile Sync, so you can download stuff to your phone for offline viewing if you happen to be getting on a plane or something like that. You get free Plex apps across every platform, the parental restrictions that we looked at uh, in this past week's Plex video, and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So I always suggest, you know, try out the free version, see what you can do with it. And then if you find things that you're lacking that are in the Plex Pass subscription list, you can subscribe. They've got monthly, annual, and lifetime options for that feature too. So uh, check it out at lon.tv slash plexpass. And now let's take a look at the week in review. On the Extras channel, we had an unboxing of the IdeaPad 530S from Lenovo. This is another mid-range laptop from them. So we'll be doing a full review of that, hopefully coming up a little bit later this week. Uh, we just bought a, a little decibel meter to start measuring fan noise. So we'll be adding that to the mix of comparatives we'll have on laptops running forward. So that has just come in. So we'll be testing that fan out tomorrow. And then on the main channel, we had three different items this week, including a PTZ Optics NDI camera. This is more of a production video here, but I know a lot of folks are interested in ways to make their production workflows more efficient, especially those who are uh, doing something in a school or a house of worship where you have limited staff to help you out. Uh, pretty cool camera. You can check that out in the master playlist down below. 
We covered Plex sharing and some of the parental controls you can apply to shared accounts on your Plex library. Uh, one of the cool things I was able to demonstrate was how I limit what my daughter can see in my movies folder. So I've password protected my main account and I was able to set up a sub account using my PlexPass subscription to allow her into the movies folder, but only seeing the G-rated movies. Uh, so that way she doesn't stumble across a Quentin Tarantino movie or something like that. And we also reviewed another low-cost Windows laptop from Acer, the Aspire 1, which has a Gemini Lake processor, uh, very similar to the HP Stream that we looked at about two weeks ago, but the Acer comes with a 1080p display versus a 720p display, and it has Ethernet, but it doesn't have as good battery life. So there's always a trade-off here, and we talk about all of that in that video, and you can see everything linked below in the master playlist. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye, and this was really interesting to me because typically Apple is very tight-lipped ahead of its big announcements, and somehow their press images leaked out to 9to5Mac of the new iPhone XS, and they've got apparently two versions on the way, a larger version and one that's the same size we have now. So if you are an iPhone 7 or 8 or 6 plus user and you want something bigger with the new OLED display, it looks like you're going to be getting that uh, with this announcement coming up next week. Uh, for me though, I'm pretty happy with my iPhone 10 as is. And as we talked about last week, when I had to switch back to my iPhone 6S, uh, that phone still was working great for the things that I did with my smartphone three years later. I think we've really hit kind of the uh, peak of what we're going to see of rapid smartphone development. It's going to all be about features and cameras and aesthetics perhaps moving forward here. But these uh, the, the years where every year was something significant over the prior year, I think are pretty much done for a while, at least until they come up with some amazing new leaps in processor technology and power management technology. So I think if you've got an iPhone 10, you're probably going to be fine uh, staying there, even though the 10s might be a little bit faster uh, in some areas. But I really can't see any real reason to upgrade an iPhone 10 uh, to the 10s. But again, we'll have to wait and see what the specifics are of this. But one thing that really interested me on this leak to 9to5Mac was the new Apple Watch Series 4. This looks like the first real change in its overall aesthetic since it came out about three or four years ago. In fact, I've been waiting to upgrade my watch because all the new ones looked the same as the old ones. They were a little faster, of course, but they uh, didn't have an overall aesthetic change. This one does look like it's going to be a little bit thinner. Uh, and short of that, it's definitely going to have more screen real estate because they have thinned out the bezels on its built-in OLED display, and you can fit a lot more on there. So I'm really eager to uh, get a new watch in pretty soon. And the reason why I'm so eager is because I'm using the watch more and more. I've had it for three or four years now. When I first got it, it was kind of a fitness tracker and a timekeeping device, and that was pretty much it. Maybe a few messages here or there. Uh, but as time has gone on, it's actually become more and more important to me as a tool. Uh, so, for example, when I'm out and about and I need to buy a cup of coffee or something, I can use the Apple Pay on the watch. That's been really convenient for me, not have to, have to take out a wallet or a credit card. Uh, just double tap the button here, put it up to the reader, and you're out. It's even faster than those credit card chip readers, which really slow things down quite a bit. So I've been really happy with that. I've also been very happy with the HomeKit integration uh, because I can control now most of the things that are controllable in my house with my watch without having to open up the phone and unlock it. I can be anywhere in the house, anywhere outside the house, unlock my doors just by shouting a command at the watch. 
Uh, the one thing this older watch has been uh, bothering me a little bit with is its speed. It's not very fast for those Siri commands. And my uh, wife, I bought her a, a Series 3 watch over the holiday season. It does those Siri commands a lot faster. So I'm really eager to get a new watch with a new look uh, along with much faster performance for a lot of the Siri commands that I'm issuing to it. And a lot of just some of the basics with it have really become useful too. The notifications, for example. So I've got a little camera in front. So whenever the UPS guy shows up, I get a notification that the guy's at the door. That stuff is really useful if the phone's not nearby. And then when I was uh, getting ready to leave my day job, we were right in the middle of a big corporate transition and I had a lot of stuff going on. And right around that period of time, my second daughter was born. So I was home for a week or so. Uh, helping out getting everybody acclimated to the new arrival and I'm out changing diapers and everything but I'm able to stay on the phone and get things done at work without having to hold the phone and getting notifications and keeping up with everything really uh, kept the stress of that week at a minimum and the watch was a big part of that. So I am very happy with my Apple Watch and I'm very eager to upgrade it but one thing I noticed out there is that a lot of people that I know or run into or just encounter out on the street uh, if they have a smartwatch on, chances are it's an Apple Watch. And I think this has really become kind of a sleeper hit product for the company. They're not touting it all that much. Maybe the sales numbers versus the iPhone are low. But I'll tell you what, I see so many of these things out there. I could probably count on one or two hands the number of uh, Android uh, watches I've seen out there over the last year or so. And if they're not wearing an iPhone, then they're probably wearing a Fitbit smartwatch. And that's been about all I have seen just within my anecdotal uh, little survey here. I think it's a very popular product and I would venture to say it's probably the most popular smartwatch. It doesn't mean the smartwatch industry is all that big, but I think Apple has a big chunk of that. I don't think they've ever released their uh, market share numbers on this, but I think if they did, it would be quite high. Uh, I just don't think the, the volume of sales of watches matches some of their other products, but it is a great watch and I am quite happy with mine. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 80 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And I've got a couple of things to chat about. Uh, the first is that we are almost at 200,000 subscribers. I predict probably within uh, the next two weeks or so, we'll probably cross over to 200,000. Took about two years to get from 100K to 200K. And that is uh, what's called slow and steady growth, which I am perfectly fine with. It does take a while to build up something this size. And I am quite happy with... Uh, really the progress we've made. It took four years to get to 100,000. So to cut that length of time in half for the next 100,000 is fine by me. And we'll just keep plugging away here, making incremental improvements and taking your suggestions, of course, to uh, keep growing the number. And I am happy with where we're headed here. So that was good. Also, a nice little thing happened to Windows Central, which is a, a great website for keeping up on all things Microsoft, did a, a list of 80 tech influencers that they uh, pushed out to their readership. And on that list at number 79 was me. And I was really uh, quite tickled and honored to be included with all the other folks on that list. And you can check that out at lon.tv slash Windows Central. I was right above Paul Therott, who's a very popular Windows commentator. So I was pretty pleased to uh, be where I was on that list there and check it out for uh, some more great tech influencers you should follow. Now, next, I want to talk about the speedometer benchmark test that we use when we are reviewing PCs here on the channel. We run this on Google Chrome to see how well it can process things from the web and compare it to other computers we have looked at. And uh, this test is something we started using about a year and a half ago uh, after the Octane test, which was the test we were running before, ceased development. And the folks from the Chrome project suggested that Speedometer was probably a good benchmark to try moving forward. So we've been doing that. 
Now, a couple of things have happened, though, because when we started doing the speedometer benchmark test, we were running version 1.0. Now it has shifted to version 2.0, so we're running both 1.0 and 2.0 to give us a basis of comparison. But the other thing we noticed over the last couple of weeks is that our Gemini Lake processors are doing better now than they did a couple of weeks ago. And I think what's happening here is that Chrome is going through continuous development, which means that it will get better on this test over time. And this was triggered by the fact that uh, the two low-cost laptops we looked at this week did so much better than we expected them to do. In fact, they uh, came in around the scores that we got on some of the quad-core NUC devices that we looked at just a few weeks ago. So it's going to be very hard moving forward to make a real apples-to-apples comparison on this test. And I wanted to get some feedback from all of you as to what to do about it. Uh, We are doing both the 1.0 and 2.0 versions of this test. So perhaps 2.0 might be the better comparative moving forward. We are collecting now enough data that I should be able to start uh, making some comparisons here and there, but it's, be, it's long been a source of frustration because we've seen uh, Octane scores vary over time as well as browsers have improved. I would imagine to some degree they're using these benchmarks as a means of tuning performance on these browsers too, so it's really not a good indication of the actual performance of the hardware all the time unless you're looking at the same moment in time. And we're also not retaining most of the machines that we review here on the channel either. Uh, They're usually usually sold if I bought them or returned back to the manufacturers. And it's really hard to keep a big library of machines to keep running tests again. So we're going to keep an eye on uh, the variations in 2.0 performance moving forward. But I would love to get your thoughts on all of this down below in the comment stream. Uh, The 3D Mark benchmark that we run on most of these low-end devices, the CloudGate benchmark, That one is very consistent from one year to the next because it really is more hardware dependent and the test doesn't change all that much over time. So that one I'm comfortable with. I'm getting less comfortable about these browser benchmarks and I wanted to get your feedback on it. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the differences between marketing departments and PR departments and some of the frustrations that I have here on the channel sometimes interacting Uh, mostly with these marketing departments. Now, what's happened over the years is that many big companies have looked at creators like myself as an arm of their marketing as opposed to editorial organizations. And I would put uh, what I do, hopefully, in the league of CNET and other publications where there is some difference between sponsored content and editorial content. I'm very clear about Uh, the relationships that I have with companies. We do do sponsored content here on the channel, but I don't review products for money here on the channel, and that's a big distinction. I cover features of Plex, for example, in our sponsored series there, but we're not going out and uh, taking money from Apple, for example, to tell you how great the iPad is uh, and call it a review, because I don't think you can call something a review if you're being paid to do the review, if that makes sense. And that's been kind of the a firewall that I have put up for myself at least because I don't have the luxury of a separate sales department that can firewall me from all the business transactions that go on with the channels. So my alternative has been setting some editorial policies about what can be sponsored versus what can't be sponsored. It's probably cost me a lot of money over the years, but I think building the brand and the trust of the brand is more important. Uh, And also, uh, I have decided that if I am going to take money for sponsorships on some videos, Every video needs a clear disclosure about exactly what my relationships are so that viewers know up front whether or not to trust me. And it's up to them to make that determination. But I think really just getting it out there is to, yes, this company sponsored something a couple of years ago and making that clear to people. 
I think is the way to go. So when a marketing agency reaches out to me and says, hey, we want you to do some reviews here, we'll pay you some money, and we'll also want you to, of course, send us the video before you upload it, I always say no because that's not how I operate. So the other day I got an email from a marketing agency on behalf of a company. Uh, they wanted to send in a bunch of stuff to review and they also wanted to have the control over what that stuff looked like when it got uploaded. And I told them my usual spiel here that that's not how we do editorial content on the channel. If you're okay with it, send the stuff into us to review. When we're done, we're going to send it back to you. And we're also not going to give you that pre-approval you're asking for either because that's not editorial content. And she said, okay, that's fine, so let's do it. So stuff comes in, we start looking at it, and we go through the process, and then I got some reminder emails about the review and everything, and then uh, a, a link to a place where I need to put the video first before we upload it for approval. And I said, that's not what we agreed on. Uh, they wrote back and said, oh, that's right, we had that agreement. Uh, but could you tell us if there's anything negative that might reflect poorly on the brand? Because we really can't have that. And I said, this is exactly why I don't work with marketing departments. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to send the thing back to you. Let's not go any further here because I'm just not comfortable working with a marketing department on something that really should be editorial. And that's exactly my point in that uh, the PR departments at most companies, especially the big companies, understand that there is a separation here. In fact, to become a PR professional, and going to college to become one, you often have to go through a lot of journalism classes in order to get your degree. I know I did as a uh, PR emphasis in my communications major. I spent a lot of time in journalism classes. I learned the journalistic process, how articles get put together, the fact-checking that goes on in uh, the course of creating uh, works of journalism. I also learned about the firewalls and how the organizations are set up to really keep editorial outside of uh, business decisions that the paper or TV station might be making. Those are all things that PR people learn and respect, which is why oftentimes a lot of uh, journalists become PR people and vice versa, because they kind of work within the same realm. And that's not what marketing people do. They want to control the message, and it's all got to be positive all the time. And the result is the Dyson vacuum cleaner debacle. Now, a couple of years ago, there was a campaign that Dell did that I thought was very well executed. They did hire a firm to uh, execute this social media campaign, but they did it through the PR department, through the product people. And what was really neat about the approach that they took with this is that they said to everybody they sent the computer to that we don't want any pre-approval up front. We want it to be your truthful, honest opinion, good, bad, or indifferent. And they also made the product managers available for interviews. In fact, we interviewed uh, Donnie Oliphant from Dell in that uh, the course of that campaign. You can see it linked down below in the video description. Uh, and you know, there was a PR person listening in, but there was not one part of that interview that they even jumped in to interrupt on. It was completely organic. He even acknowledged that there was a part of the, of the computer that people might not like, which was the placement of the webcam. They had to put it on the lower portion of the bezel because they couldn't fit it on the top. And he acknowledged that that might be an issue for some folks. And it was really very refreshing to have a company being totally transparent and open about this new computer line that they had come up with, which was, by the way, the XPS line, uh, which has been very, very successful for the company. And I think the approach that they took, at least with influencers, contributed to some initial goodwill about that product. It didn't impact my, this, my, the things that I pointed out in the review, but it was a good product, and it was a good product because uh, it was a good product. They didn't need marketing people to force it to be that way, nor did they have to get any kind of pre-approval to get those things in place. And I thought how they executed that was really the direction that most companies should take by respecting the fact that people have editorial processes and 
uh, you're better off having the good and the bad talked about in the course of a product review than just having everything being glowing and lovely. And one PR person told me once, and I can't remember if it was Dell or another company, uh, but they said to me, he goes, you know what, we'd rather have the negatives come out as much as the positives do, because if we can prevent a bad sale, that is almost better than getting a good sale. Because if you buy a product and there's something about it you really dislike, you might be turned off from that brand forever, uh, versus maybe not buying that product when you first see it, and then maybe buying it after that issue you had was resolved in a future iteration. You're going to have a much better view of that brand in the future. And I think that's where the stuff needs to go. I've been talking to a lot of marketing people that are in the tech space and out of the tech space, and the overall opinion of influencers is declining tremendously, especially the influencers that are on the take, who are trying to do everything for money. And uh, they really don't like the results they're getting. They don't like the fact, like in the case of the Dyson vacuum cleaner, that the entire thing can blow up your brand image in a heartbeat. Uh, and they are moving to trying to get more of this stuff flowed through the PR section as editorial. And that's why I think hopefully I'm better positioned trying to do the things that I'm doing, where we have a very clear editorial window and a very clear sponsorship window so that viewers understand what is what, uh, and hopefully brands understand that too. And that's the direction I'm taking here with the channel. But it's been bugging me for a while. Just wanted to get that off my chest. I think influencers, or better yet, independent content creators, are better suited under your PR department than they are under the marketing department. And if you're curious about this Dyson vacuum cleaner debacle, I've got a link to a video in the master playlist where I talk about the entire issue from beginning to end. Basically what happened was a number of tech creators were uh, paid by Dyson to talk about their new vacuum cleaner. They said exactly the same thing, covered the exact same things according to what their marketing department wanted. And then they all posted the videos at the exact same time, just like the marketing department wanted. And everyone looked bad. The creators and Dyson didn't work well for anybody. And I think it's a good lesson as to what happens when influencer marketing runs amok. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from Nika, who's trying to decide between the iPad or the Surface Go. And I've been an iPad user for as long as the iPad has been out. It's a great consumption device, but it's a lousy computer, in my opinion. Uh, so I don't do a lot of content creation on the iPad. In fact, I do very little, uh, but I do a lot of content consumption. I watch YouTube on here. I, I reply to comments occasionally on there. Uh, and since I got the iPad Pro, this is the 10-inch uh, iPad Pro, I've been doing a lot of work with the Apple Pencil, but I am starting things on the iPad where I really need that pencil maybe to cut something out of an image. And then I'm immediately switching back to my computer to actually get all that inserted. And they've got a lot of great apps on the iPad that in many ways mirror the capability of desktop apps. But for whatever reason, the touchscreen interface just feels so inefficient to me. It's so counterintuitive to what I'm used to on a desktop computer that I'm always going back to the computer whenever I have to create something. But I really enjoy consuming content on the iPad. But the Surface Go is not as good of a tablet as the iPad is. Some of the apps, I think, just aren't just there yet for it. Um, but it works great as a computer. It's one of the nicest Windows computers I've ever used. I really use it most of the time with the keyboard and trackpad attached here because it is a full-fledged Windows computer. All of that Windows software that I might want to run, like Photoshop and a bunch of the other stuff that we demoed in the course of 
the review uh, runs great on here, and it really works just so nice to have this very uh, thin and lightweight computer that largely feels like a tablet, but really is a full-fledged computer. On the Apple side, what I ended up buying a number of years ago uh, was the 12-inch MacBook, which is driving the show right now. Uh, and this thing has been fantastic for me because it's as light as the iPad is usually with its keyboard attached, but I have a full-fledged Mac, and I can do all my content creation on here, uh, which has worked out really well, just because, in my opinion, the iPad just doesn't cut it as a uh, creation device. And I've also been a bit frustrated with the fact that split screen is so convoluted on the iPad, too. So, for example, if I wanted to have Safari running alongside of uh, the app that I'm running currently on here, you see that it just doesn't work. The only way I can get Safari up is just to have it sitting over uh, what I'm currently looking at. But some apps allow me to drag Safari over to that portion of the screen and get a true split screen there. So the apps really aren't well supported for split screen on the iPad. It's not so great at multitasking, really not so great at content creation, in my opinion at least. But uh, you do get the computer experience out of the Surface Go, which I think, honestly, is its biggest selling point. That's my opinion. You might differ. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. And this last question came in from John, who's looking at a NUC versus the NVIDIA Shield, and which one is better for a home theater operation. And I have to say, at the moment, the Shield is still my pick, uh, primarily because it supports a lot of the 4K formats, namely HDR video, that the NUCs, at least on the lower end, don't yet support. Uh, but also because the Shield is really designed to be a lean-back experience, uh, because its interface is designed for televisions, and that's something Windows lacks. You just can't get a good TV interface by default on Windows. I'm sure you could get some kind of uh, add-on launcher or something like that, but you still have to go through the login process, and there's still updates to contend with and everything else. It doesn't feel like we've got a good TV interface baked into the operating system yet. And I'm surprised Microsoft hasn't done that, given how many people are connecting their computers to TVs these days. They certainly have a tablet interface thought about for their tablet-based devices, and for some reason, they just haven't done a television interface since Windows Media Center all those many years ago. My suspicion is that they don't want to eat into the Xbox's market share, because that is their essentially Windows-based TV device, but I think Windows could really benefit from a lean-back interface where you have something that's better suited for a TV interface versus the standard desktop that we get. We're often getting these big keyboards to sit on the couch with, with trackpads that don't seem to work so great across a room. It'd be nice just to be able to pick up a remote control and use the computer. Apple, by the way, did this a number of years ago. They have stopped since, but they had a lean-back interface involving these little white controllers they shipped with all of their MacBooks for a short time. And when you pushed the button on the controller, uh, the computer would turn into essentially the early version of the Apple TV and give you access to your media and other things that uh, you might want to look at when the computer was directly connected to a television. It was really cool. The Mac Mini did it also. But unfortunately, Apple, like Microsoft, took it out of the operating system in recent versions of it, and it doesn't look like there is any plans to bring it back again. Apple, of course, has the Apple TV, which is geared towards television users, too, so perhaps they don't want to eat into that device's market share either. But I really think all of these major computer brands could benefit, especially Windows, from a real lean-back television interface. And our channel of the week this week is Max Sparky. Uh, he's on YouTube, but he's also got his own website. And this is the same guy, David Sparks, behind the Mac Power users as well as automators that we just talked about. But he's getting more into video production now with a lot of 
really good Mac how-tos, and he did a whole thing on OmniFocus, which is up on his website at MacSparky.com, so you can get a real sense as to how the application works and how it might fit into your workflow. You might want to check out that video, uh, but I also really do suggest getting that GTD book just to get a sense of the concepts involved with how all of this task management can work for you. But this is a great channel to subscribe to now because I'm sure he's going to have a lot of neat little tricks coming up soon. He is the biggest productivity nerd that I know, and I listen to a lot of his stuff to get ideas as to how to make my own workflow more efficient. Because just like me, he's a one-man band doing a whole bunch of different stuff and uh, lots of fun things to get from him. So check it out. So this week, we got a bunch of stuff on the horizon here. I got in a couple of these little Super Pie cases from Retro Flag, and what these do is allow you to turn your Raspberry Pi into a little mini SNES. I got the Famicom version and the regular Super Nintendo version. And what's neat about these is that they have an on-off switch, believe it or not, uh, that can safely shut down your Raspberry Pi after a script installation. So we'll look at that as well, because you could really turn this thing into a uh, real full-blown emulation station with a switch. So you don't have to worry about shutting things down properly. It'll do that for you. We'll cover that in the review. And on that retro theme, I had this urging the other day uh, to play Operation Wolf with a light gun again, like I did 30 years ago as a kid. And I picked up this thing called the Dolphin Bar, which apparently allows you to connect your Wiimote to a PC via USB and get all the infrared functions out of that remote. And my plan is to try to connect this up with my NVIDIA Shield and run it through MAME to get some basic light gun functionality. Uh, so I will try that out this week. We'll see how it goes. And hopefully we'll play some Operation Wolf and uh, get it going on my big 60-inch plasma up there. That'd be kind of fun. So I'll be playing around with this a little bit. If you got tips for me on using this with MAME, please let me know down in the comments to make my life easier. I'm also going to show you a little mini PC from Shuttle that I got in a couple, couple weeks ago. We're finally getting to now. Uh, this is a device powered by the same processor as the Chrome boxes that we've looked at or will be looking at. And a lot of people are trying to get their Chrome boxes to do home theater stuff, but my argument is the box with the same chip that is not weighted down by the Chrome OS restrictions is probably the better way to go. So we'll be exploring some of the things you can do with one of these uh, cheap mini PCs in an uh, upcoming video. And the difference between this one and other ones that we've looked at is that it has the KB Lake Celeron inside versus the usual Gemini Lake or Apollo Lake chips that we've looked at. So it's a little faster uh, than some other mini PCs that are out there, again, more in line with the Chromebox performance. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where you can sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, and we'll get a small commission for that. Or you can sign up for a Plex Pass, like we talked about at the beginning of the video, and you can follow my links that you see on screen. We also have other channels you can follow me on, my Extras channel, where I've got supplementary content to uh, what we do here, unboxings and other stuff like that. We have the podcast, where we have audio versions of this show and my monthly interview that I do. We also have the Snippets channel, where I've got portions of this video up in a more search-friendly format. And then we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams, if you want to see some of the live things that we've done in the past. We're doing more and more live these days. Uh, still kind of random in our uh, broadcast times, but we'll be doing more soon. And if you want to get notified every time I do something live or, or not live, uh, you can click on the bell and get a notification every time we do something there. 
And you can engage with the channel by signing up for my email list at lon.tv slash email. We've got my Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook where I post videos from this video and other stuff as well as it comes up throughout the week. We've got the Facebook group, which has got a lot of folks in there, over 400 now at lon.tv slash Facebook group. Just be sure to answer the questions that it offers you when you first try to sign in. Uh, because we're trying to keep the spammers out. So if you don't answer the questions, you don't get in. So if you didn't get in yet, answer the questions and we'll let you in after that. And we've got my store at lon.tv slash store where I sell items that I have previously reviewed here on the channel. And you can sign up to get an alert every time something changes on the store on the link that you see on screen. And we recently moved the store over to something I am directly controlling versus Square. I talked about that last week and it's been great. The shift of the store got a lot of people in checking it out and we got rid of a lot of stuff that has been sitting around for a while. So hopefully I will be getting some more stuff up there uh, later next week. And that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. I wanna thank everyone for watching on this Labor Day weekend. And please keep those questions and comments coming because all of it is helping me guide the channel uh, into the new path that we're taking or the continued path that we're taking towards 200,000 subscribers, which is just around the corner. Thanks everyone once again, and we'll see you next time. This is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Chris Allegretta, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Bill Reiner, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.